0: Hello and welcome to IndieWare's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizlit on Twitter.
1: And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T Travers on Twitter.
0: And happy Monday. Is it a happy Monday, Ben? That was my question um, for you.
1: It's it's a fairly happy Monday. I mean I I'm mostly happy. There's been some some sad things that have happened, sure, but I mean there's there's also been some good good stuff.
0: What would you call some of the good stuff that's
1: happened? Well, uh, so like point counterpoint, uh, Iowa, my beloved Hawkeyes, lost the Big Ten championship game on on Saturday night, and that hurt. But we're in the Rose Bowl. We got the fifth slot in the college football rankings, which is you know really you know a kind of a nod of respect for a team that could have dropped a lot farther because of what people have been saying throughout the year. So it's it's kind of a good and bad scenario. So similarly, the leftovers ended last night. So we're done with season two. Uh, we don't know the future. But I mean, it was such a spectacular finale. And there's so much to go over within that finale that I mean, really, the, the, there's a lot of, of, of happiness to be had just from that. That memory is still very fresh.
0: Yeah, I, I you'll be very proud of me, Ben. Last night, I not only ha- I'd seen the screener already. I'd seen it last week. But I did actually sit and rewatch the whole episode uh live as it aired on HBO. So in theory if nice. they have some way of tracking my ratings, I've given them a lot of support through my actual eyeballs.
1: I've actually just, you know, had it on my HBO now streaming on repeat since it aired. So I mean at least racking up probably twelve, thirteen views by now.
0: <laughs> probably. Just you solo <laughs> working together. But I think that's kind of I mean the Leftovers has kind of become like a running joke on this podcast, which I personally, I, I enjoy. I love I love me a running joke, uh, especially a running joke about a show that really was quite excellent from the from the from, you know, the first from the first drop of the season, arguably going all the way back to last season it was equally excellent. But I think what's been really exciting is critically the there's been a groundswell of support for the show in this in this this fall.
1: Yeah, as much as they don't want to say it, people seem to have just caught on with what the leftovers is doing or at least adjusted, you know, to accept kind of the the message and the tone of the show. Um, and because they've done that, they've really become more invested in it, which has been, I mean, it's always nice to see buzz out there for the shows that you really strongly believe in, especially when you know we've been beating the drum now for two years uh, trying to get as much recognition out there as possible, as much viewers out there as possible. And for me, it's it's very rewarding because now, You know, my my online life has a ton of leftovers in it, a ton of, like, just all wherever I look on the Internet, there's going to be someone talking about the leftovers, which is nice. And then in my personal life, I've bugged enough of my friends and family to watch the leftovers, and they're now doing that as well. So, I mean, I feel like it's on the way.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to look back on the the season as a whole. I remember when I first saw – when I saw the first three episodes – and you want to? We'll try to keep the spoiler light, uh, but I'll say that episode three really was really hard viewing for me. Like it, it, that, there there are a couple of twists in that episode that really affected me strongly. And I remember thinking to myself, "This is the episode that knocks my parents out." But apparently, my mom hadn't been watching, but my dad had been, and my dad made it through. And My dad is still, I believe, I believe he's. I don't know if he's completely caught up. But he, I believe he kept watching, which is exciting. Like you said, it's always nice when people, the people around you, like the same things you do.
1: Yeah, and honestly, I'm always a little bit surprised at the various reactions to a show this specific. Like to me, I, I would agree with you. I think episode three is is probably the toughest and and kind of most heartbreaking episode of the entire season, if not the entire series. And if, you know, I was going to pick a point where somebody might jump ship or might just be too, you know, depressed to, to continue, then I would have guessed it was probably episode three. But I've had people tell me, you know, that that didn't bother them that much, that they didn't feel like it was, you know, that dark or that um, that sad in general. Um, which goes kind of the larger discussion of, you know, from season one, a lot of the criticism said that the show was too sad, that it was just, you know, too, too morose, whatever word you want to pick out there. Um, it was too much of that. And I never really agreed with that. I always thought that the intrigue and the quality and the ideas within it, as well as, I mean, obviously the characters, uh, outweighed any kind of, any any element of that feeling that w- that you'd hold on to after the episode ended. But I point to that third episode in saying that season two is very much like season one. I don't think it's changed as much as people want to believe it has. I think it just evolved and and started telling a new story. Um so I, I, I would definitely agree that that's, that's a very sad episode. And then I'd also, it's always fascinating to me to hear what other people think is too sad and when they don't.
0: What else? I mean, I think the, you know, another big moment of the season is something that uh, is, is the, the, ma- the, the major Regina King, Carrie scene from episode six, I believe.
1: Oh, God, you're going to test me. I, I want to say that's seven, but I might be wrong. No, because seven's with Kevin. No, yeah, it's six. It's six.
0: Yeah, and that—that which is just a brutal bit of not just exposition, but also just great character work.
1: Yeah and that's one and again for me this speaks more to to my personal philosophy on on watching this and what I get out of it but that scene is so powerful in and of itself just as a scene as like a piece of writing as as a narrative story and as like two characters going head to head and two characters who normally if they go head to head with someone the other person loses like there's there's no one who's going to beat Nora in an argument she will win that argument and the same goes for Erica So, like, those two going back and forth in that context is so fascinating and so energizing to me as I watch it that I would never think that that was too sad. But if you actually boiled it down to just what they're talking about, then, yeah, absolutely, that gets into some very dark are uh, dark areas of, of the human soul. So, I mean, it's it's a fascinating thing to talk. And I, I, I've i heard that the Matt Jameson episode where he had another one where it stood by himself, that one was one that was very hard for people to get through because of that character, because he's so, you know, some people will say he's too gullible. Other people, you know, would say, yeah, but that's his faith and that's why it's important. And, of course, that's a discussion they want to generate out of the show. But it is, I mean, that's difficult to watch sometimes.
0: Yeah, I, I remember that episode... So interesting to watch. Uh, and then uh, one of the things to note about this season is we've been very fortunate in getting to talk with a large number of cast members over the course of the season. Uh, you know, you got, you, 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 you spoke with Amy Brennerman. Uh, I got to ch- talk with both with, with, with uh, Justin Thoreau, with Carrie Coon, and with Christopher Eccleston. And Christopher Eccleston, of all of them, was the one who broke my heart the most because uh, it's something I didn't know about going into that conversation, because it's on, on his Wikipedia page or anything, but apparently his mother uh, spent years caring for his father, uh, because uh, he had, you know, f- for various reasons, I forget the exact specific reason, but so that his storyline with Mary had such, was already really meaningful to me because it's, you know, such a loving relationship, even though it feels one-sided, and then to talk to him about, how much of it was personal for him. Like, I mean, that's the sort of stuff I think the show is really good at building up and tying into, you know, a daily life.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and that's a that's one of those great kind of discoveries when you're talking to someone because Eccleston is such a terrific actor, in you know, and of himself. He doesn't need any kind of inspiration or, or, or to do anything special or to have some sort of scenario like that to draw upon. Like he should be he could do, you know, pretty much whatever's necessary for any scene whatsoever, but having that as a background if you're watching the show now or, or, or you know then or whenever um, I mean, it adds a little bit to it and it it helps ground it a little bit. And and the show itself is so good at keeping things grounded, even when it gets really crazy and supernatural, um, that these things are always personal. It always feels like it's hitting just the right spot. And I mean, that's that's that might be what people disagreed with about with season one, that maybe it wasn't quite hitting you know your heart. It was hitting something a little bit lower. Um, and that this was this this season was definitely on point all the way through.
0: Well, it's, I think there's you know if you ta- if you're talking about the concept of likable characters within this within this universe, I would say that season 1, you know, you definitely have Kevin as a foothold, but Kevin is in this incredibly mixed-up place and he becomes hard to trust as a narrator as a, as a as a protagonist. You get, you know, I think everyone points to season episode 6 of season 1, uh, the episode guest as a really important one and it at the time, it's because it's a really amazing episode of television. But in retrospect now, I think it also highlights the fact that, you know, that episode become, is such a powerhouse for Carrie Kuhn, And then all of a sudden you have Nora at the center of the show, like just this incredibly, incredibly likable and interesting person, even when she does something vaguely unlikable.
1: Yeah, and you—I mean—you had that with Eccleston too before. Before even Nora showed up, where he came out with his own episode, and it was—it wasn't the same tone, obviously, because they're very different characters. They're very different people, but it was—you know—it's own standalone entity. It did shift focus from you know Kevin, who you know is set up to be the main protagonist, if you will, um, of the show. And then yeah, like that's—that's that's kind of what's to me is what's interesting about the argument, which I don't really want to have even more any more than we already did. Um, about the differences between season one and season two because I just think it's an evolution. I think we had to go through those things with those characters to get to the point where we're at now. Now Kevin has has you know peaked in season season one. he tried everything he could to deal with the issues that were thrown in his face and it ended terribly. So he had to come up with something else and that's what's going on in season two. Um, with Nora, I I remember I was talking to my sister about the show and she was talking to me about a few other like recappers or, or reviews that she read about it. And they were, they were talking about how Nora was actually the one who was probably the best off in the show. She was the one who was okay. She was doing fine. Um, everybody else was having their problems, but Nora knew how to handle it. And we both were just like, she was telling me this because it was so ridiculous to think that Nora was okay. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. That's insane. You can't think that Nora's okay. And then somehow, even now, like going through season two, when it seems like that would be the necessary arc for her to make, she finds so many more things to dig into and so many more things to go through that she's pretty much in the same spot as she was at the end of season one. And, and I mean, it's, it's fascinating to see this kind of development and them go through such similar things. And yet, you know, the, the story, the stories are so extremely different.
0: Yeah. And, but I, I think I really love what you just said about, about this being the result of evolution. Like, would I connect with, would I connect with Lori in the way I did this season, if we hadn't gone through this whole season of her almost being a nemesis?
1: I I don't know. I mean, I don't think I don't think there would be any real connections outside of maybe the Murphys, um, who are who are new characters. I don't think you'd have the same connections with these people if you didn't have the background from season one. So I, I'd probably say no.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, so looking, so the thing that the thing about the the, ser- the season that's really important that's I I think I saw I think I saw one of our former interns tweet about this. Uh, Brandon Latham, uh, if he's listening, I, I doubt. Shout out has... to Brandon. Shout out to Brandon. But something he said that was really interesting was that he initially believed that this should have been a mini series that this should, they should have just done season one and been done, and that season two, of course, proved him completely wrong. But what's so interesting about that point is the fact that you know, as as we've discussed, season one was based on the book that uh, was written by Tom Parada. Season two is a completely original story and kind of getting at the central question of this this here podcast is this is if if we're going to make the argument for why season three of this show should happen season two i think is a great a great a great example of why
1: oh absolutely and and i think what's interesting about this is you know, you you watch that last episode of season two and I, I, I find it to be so satisfying and I understand the reactions out there. I've seen a couple of pieces talking about how they should just end it. They should just be done because it's such a good ending for the series. And yet there's so much left out in the open. I mean, I, I read the interview in Variety about with with Dave Lindelof kind of talking about, you know, the fact that he wants to do a third season and that he wants to bring it back. And, you know, he hopes to get that call from HBO uh, which is great to read, um, but it's also, he was he said the exact same things I was thinking when he's talking about what they can do next, because there is so much more territory to mine, like there's so many more stories within this City of Miracle, within these characters, uh, that, that's been set up by season two, but that still somehow they came out with an ending that feels... It feels complete. It feels like they they ended the arc that they'd started for this specific season, even though just from kind of the way that this show is built, there's so many questions and there's always going to be so many questions. They definitely have plenty of material to run with if if they get the green light for season three.
0: Yeah. And I mean, is there is there who if right off the top of your head is who, is there someone whose story you really want to see more of?
1: Uh, all of the Murphys, all, all of the Murphys need to be given their proper due. I mean, again, not to get too spoilery, but it's it's pretty clear at the end of that that pretty much every member of that family is in crisis and they need to be resolved somehow. Um, on top of that, obviously, Meg and the GR are big stories. But the one, again, that I'm going to point to, which I think is kind of a sneaky choice and, and, you know, you may want to believe ended, but I don't think did, is Nora. I think Nora is still in the same spot she was in in season one, and if you look to what happened in season two and, and kind of what she went through and all of these kind of rejections that she had towards the idea that she's not okay and her defensiveness about that, but you can still tell that she's clearly not, uh, I think we need, it would be nice to continue watching her evolve because she definitely has so much more of a life to live and so many more things to tell.
0: It's so interesting that you you, you, that that anyone could possibly think that she was doing the most okay of anyone on this show. It's it is such a baffling idea because I couldn't
1: understand it. I mean, it's season one when maybe people were just a little more confused about things. But, yeah, that's that's nuts.
0: No, I mean, it's something like even even Carrie Coon said uh, is like, you know, the fact that, you know, this is a woman who thinks it's okay to who's like asking prostitutes to shoot her in the chest. If you watch, if you watched, <laughs> if you watched uh, season one, like, well, yeah, and
1: she's the same person who who came up with the idea and thought it was okay that she was locking Kevin to a bed every night. Like he was the one who had to come out and say, "This is actually a problem. Like I can't, we can't keep living like this. This isn't okay."
0: Well, I think it's what what's what's so amazing about her character is that it is you are seeing like someone in flux, someone dealing with coping mechanisms on a, a heightened level, to be sure.
1: Yeah, and she's so. What I love about Nora is that she is not, she is the opposite of passive. She is always active. She is ferocious in her pursuit of being okay. And, you know, she's not going to regress or go back or, or kind of go down that path she went down in episode six, season one, when she went to Holy Wayne and got a hug. I mean, that's, she's rejected that that is not an option for her she has to build what she had and then somehow hold on to that and then she thinks she'll be okay And i mean it's fascinating to see where that's going to go and that's why i think um with the trust that we've we've you know we gave them for season two and what they've shown with us in that as well as you know everything that they've built so far i can only imagine that the show will continue to to be fascinating if not improve
0: yeah, I mean, one, one element I'm curious about seeing how they approach is, without getting into too many specifics, the character of Tom kind of felt like some kind of almost in flux for me. Like, it's not totally clear what, what, what side of any line he's on. It's not totally clear what he's looking for out of life. And I think he, he similarly, to, similarly to the Murphys, like, he definitely feels like someone who's a lot more story to be told about him.
1: Yeah, Tom. Tom to me is an interesting character because we've never really seen him. We've never really seen him interact with the family. Like he keeps kind of distancing himself from them. And I always thought that that was a great tease in season one. How him and Kevin kept playing phone tag, where Kevin would try to call him and he, Tommy, wouldn't answer. Or Tommy would get stuck in a situation where he'd call Kevin, but then Kevin didn't answer, or you know, Tommy would hang up before he talked to him. Whatever. Like they kept going back and forth, and you could tell that he almost instinctually wanted that bond back he wanted his dad he wanted his family but at the same time he can't believe in it or he knows it's not good or something's pushing him away from that that wholesomeness because he doesn't trust it like something happened that shattered that and to him he's still looking for what's next so yeah i mean there's a lot of story to be told with him uh, even though in season two he seemed to go down a pretty similar path as he did in season one but he's now set up for a whole new ride again if, if there's going to be a next year.
0: Well, the fact that they very explicitly added this la- layer of backstory to Tom to Tom's character where he, he you know, uh, Kevin is not his biological father. Kevin adopted him at a young age. Um, and yet, Kevin, you know, T- Tom is kind of haunted by the knowledge that he has this other father out there. Like, that feels like something that, that has gone a little by the wayside. It is a sort of element that I think season three could pick up on and... Make interesting in a way that we haven't seen yet.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely that side of it, and then I, you know, I'd make the argument that again, like just seeing him back in an in, in like in touch, either living with or living in the same city as, or communicating with on you know regular basis with his family, with his core family, be it you know Evan, Nora, Jill, uh, Amy, like everybody, Laurie. I mean, seeing how that functions now with everything changed and and everyone kind of in a new role i mean that in and of itself is a fascinating dynamic to to kind of witness
0: it, it'll speak to something that i think the show's done a really great job of establishing which is that you know there's no such thing as an easy answer or a happy ending there's always you know you can get everything you think you want and then that there's still stuff to deal with there's still stuff to try to figure out
1: yeah, and I mean, it's it kind of goes back to what some people found to be a turnoff from season one. Like, this isn't a show that you can passively watch. It's going to challenge you. It's going to engage you. It's going to make you ask hard questions about yourself and your own kind of sense of happiness and sense of place, and that's not something everybody wants to do. Um, Those questions are what makes the show so great, but they're also what makes it so utterly relevant, even when it gets into the really crazy supernatural territory that it's explored at least two times to the extreme in this last season. And, I mean, I think that's going to be one of the more interesting elements, too. If they do get the green light, I expect a lot of questions, and I expect since that door has been opened to the other side now, so to speak, without spoiling too much, uh, you know how they explore that, and how they want to talk about that, or if they want to talk about that, or if they want to go back there in season three. I mean, that's that's a huge area too, because it's not just something that they can shut out. It's not just something they can ignore from here on forward.
0: It's true. That's true. But at the same time, like that's it, it. It would not surprise me if they pulled back on those elements in season three. That if they that if they do get a season three, that they maybe aim to keep to keep things grounded at least at the beginning, which is something they kind of did with this season as well. Like we didn't get to the really crazy stuff until like episode seven or eight. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, I I think you're right in that they've opened that door, but I also think that they are smart enough to know that it's really, you know, it's always going to be about character relationships with this show. It's like, it's always going to come down to this amazing cast interacting in this way.
1: Well, no, and that's that's exactly the that's exactly the right way to think about it. That's exactly what I expect for them to do. Because as as if we've learned anything from these first two seasons of the leftovers, even the people who don't like it would have to admit that the structuring of these seasons is just utterly impeccable. And if you look at kind of how they build to a crescendo at the end, it's 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 simply amazing. I mean, look at look at like last year, episode eight was the big one. Episode eight was where people were kind of sitting there just flabbergasted at what just happened. They had a huge twist, um, a huge shocker, kind of one of the biggest more supernatural elements came into play. Um, at least in tone with what had happened in season one. And then they, they jumped away from that. And and then the very next episode, we went on this whole other crazy ride and we, at first, you know, you kind of rejected it. You wanted to know what happened immediately next at the end of episode eight, but they weren't going to tell us yet. And then they went, then you finally found out in episode 10, which ended up being completely satisfying. And you can use all of that to describe exactly what happened in season two. And even though everything's a little bit different, even though everything's unique and compelling and and it's got its own new story and its own new, uh, its own new structure, really, they're still following uh, the same very intelligent, Uh, I mean structuring again like just way of of putting these episodes together like they're putting them in this order that is just engineered to build up the best possible dramatic results and I think that they know exactly what they're doing in that sense when it comes to what they're going to tell us and what they're not going to tell us especially with stuff like the supernatural elements especially with uh, you know kind of the bigger questions that they have out there Uh, they're only going to deal with that when it really matters to the characters and when it really matters to the story uh, not necessarily in, in whatever plot is going on right at the moment. So I mean, yeah, I I, I don't know how much they do it, how much they do with it or how much they wouldn't, but how they do it is going to be pretty interesting.
0: Indeed. Yeah, so that's our I think that's a pretty a pretty as good case as we can make for uh, for there being a season three, you know, and you were saying that the ratings weren't as bad as you thought, perhaps?
1: Uh, I mean, it's impossible to tell, really, on what the exact ratings are. Like, last year kind of kind of seemed like things weren't performing well. If you just looked at the Nielsen's, uh, the overnight ratings compared, you know, from from that show to any other show, it was doing pretty poorly. But then after, I think, episode seven or eight, they came out and told us what their online ratings were, like what their streaming plays and, and DVR plays and all that accounted to. So they we had a really good number of how many people were actually watching all the way up until that point. And it was huge. It was a huge plus. Uh, the overnight ratings this year are definitely down. They're not doing well, but they have seen an interesting climb since about episode six. Uh, they've steadily risen. They're up to almost, almost a million a night. Um, By episode nine, and I haven't seen the the finale light yet. But to me, that at least implies the same kind of idea that people are waiting to watch this on their own time, which is something we know that is going on throughout television. So we know that the that there's way more people watching this than the numbers we're getting uh for the overnight ratings. And to me, I I can only imagine that after all of these, you know, great reviews that have come out in season two from people who might have been a little more hesitant about season one that even more eyes are going to this because also HBO now is out there like there's there's more ways than ever to watch the leftovers and I'm going to guess that people are finding it on their own time and that is the best case scenario for anybody who's hoping for a season three
0: yeah I mean the fact of the matter is I don't think is there anything that has received the level of critical claim on HBO this year beyond this like you know Certainly, Game of Thrones had had its detractors. Certainly, uh, certainly, True Detective didn't land quite the way HBO wanted it to. Uh, meanwhile, you've got such love for the show um, on the critical side of things, and that matters a lot to HBO. Like, it doesn't matter as lot as much as say getting those award nominations, but it does have impact. We're going to certainly see it, see leftovers making it onto a number of top ten lists this year. Uh, and that th- th- the networks count those
1: up. Yeah, there was. I mean, there was. I counted a barrage of tweets last night from a number of very well-respected critics saying that this was the best television show of the year. Period. And if that's something that's out there, if this is not only on top ten lists, but if it's topping them. I mean, again, I don't know if HBO can cancel that, but they have to be weighing that against their own internal data on how many people are actually watching, as well as uh, you know if they think there's a shot at it getting back into the awards race. I don't think it's got much of a play at Golden Globes because I don't think many of these names are that juicy. But if they think they can build build up a, a you know a scheme to get them back into the Emmys, even though they were overlooked on season one, you know it's worth a shot. And and I would hope that they'd they'd go after something like that
0: yeah timing wise they didn't have a really great position for for this year's Emmys. so i i I wasn't shocked that it didn't do great but who knows
1: yeah well and i mean the struggle with emmy's is that if you don't make it the first year it's harder to dig in the next year but we're seeing a few things pop up in season two they're getting better reviews or are kind of cementing their status as great shows in the second season so some of those trends might actually start to change
0: fingers crossed Indeed. So, Ben, that leads me to ask you, what was the best thing you watched last week?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, other than the Leftovers finale, um, I think the best thing that I've seen of late was the transparent second season. Um, Speaking of, well, not really speaking of second seasons that are better than the first on a larger scale, because most people were just enamored with the first season and, and got reviews that just simply couldn't be topped. For me, I was very impressed with it. I loved Tambor. I loved all the actors. I wasn't completely sold on the show being perfect from you know point A to point Z. But uh, season two is definitely getting there. It dives into a much more ambitious storytelling device and one that I am not too familiar with. Uh, for any other show out there. I think that they incorporate it very well, and I think the only way that it works is because it's a show that can be binged that you can just keep watching all the way through because it helps kind of connect that as opposed to making it feel a little disjointed and weird, which if it was spaced out over 10 weeks, I think it might. Anyway, the point is, season two is fantastic. Um, I don't think season one was even in my discussion for a top 10 list, but season two will definitely be in there.
0: Yeah, I, I have also seen the second season, and I... I don't know if I see a clean distinction between season one and season two, other than the show kind of leans a little bit more into, you know, the fact that you know this 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 this, uh, this family's children are not maybe the best people. Um, I think there's a lot. I think that that was I think a very fair complaint of yours for season one and season two. I think does some course adjustment there.
1: Yeah, season one seemed to be saying these are bad people, but we're focusing on another aspect of it. We're focusing on another character. Season two seems to be dealing with that backstory that I feel like you almost needed for season one to appreciate these people as they are, to kind of understand what they're going through and how they got there. Um, I think that's what they're focusing on now with season two, and that's made everyone more empathetic. And at the same time, they've toned down some of the more negative aspects that they're doing. Like they're They're not as bad as they were and again being a bad person isn't isn't a criticism of of a show but if you don't have an access point to kind of get behind them then that would be and i I feel like you really want to be on these people's sides a lot more in season two which is uh uh, you know much more endearing
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Uh, but liz what about you what was the best thing you've seen last week
0: this is going to be so dorky. This is not a top 10 contender at all. But I thoroughly enjoyed last week's Arrow Flash mega crossover.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, Let's talk it. Let's do it.
0: Well, because here's the thing, Then, uh, As you know, my favorite show of 2016 is probably going to be Legends of Tomorrow, which is the next DC show. And apparently it's costing, oh. it's costing way too much money, and it's got a ridiculous cast, and everything about it is insane. And I cannot wait It's going to make me so happy uh, because it's just going to be giant dorky sci-fi fun like i was already on board when when they brought in like uh, the character of hawk girl which is a girl who has hawk wings because that's a thing and then uh who is a great character for the justice league uh, cartoon if you ever see this is a new version of it but more importantly it's like all these great characters plus they're traveling in time and all of it got set up by last week's two-parter, so I was very happy.
1: All I'm going to say is that the costumes on this show are ridiculous. Uh, I The Hawk costumes, I can't even... I mean, I think they're pretty close to what I saw in the cartoon and in the comic books, but that's... They just—they don't translate like, well to live action.
0: Oh, it's so—it's so silly. It's going to be so great. Um,
1: I hope so, Liz. Is it
0: going to be? Are the costumes as ridiculous as Wentworth Miller's acting? Because that's the important mm. question.
1: Uh, I don't—I don't have much of an issue with Wentworth Miller. I—I I mean, I'm a Prison Break fan, so maybe that's the problem. But I—I I don't see a lot of problems in, in the limited footage of, of him on this new show either. So I would definitely say the costumes. <laughs> are more of an issue than anything else
0: yes it's going to be a glorious mess i can't they're, they're going to travel through time did i already mention that they're going to travel through time
1: god i hope it's to stop the JFK assassination
0: Hello. <laughs> speaking, of more, speaking of the second best tw- television show of 2016
1: obviously which is not ironically coincidentally i guess named a date from what Fifty years ago, or whatever.
0: Yes, it's the date of the Kennedy assassination. Right. 11-22-63, right. starring our good friend J- James Franco. I which... go
1: IndieWire <laughs> contributor slash writer James Franco.
0: Yes, uh, but, you know that's that's a pilot that that's a show that's got some indie cred to it. Uh, Kevin McDonald directed the pilot and maybe future, if further episodes. Uh, there's other uh, Sarah Gadon, G- who we just featured as a spotlight performer. She's a uh, she is a, a major cast member. So
1: well yeah, and it's gonna be premiering at Sundance Film Festival. So obviously it's got some indie credibility behind it. Yeah. A much deeper level.
0: Nothing says nothing says independent like JJ Abrams.
1: Nothing says independent like Hulu and NBC Universal.
0: <laughs> then what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh,
1: the next thing. Oh god, I lost it. What is the next thing I'm looking forward to? Oh! The next thing I'm looking forward to is it's not really a TV show, though it's commonly seen on on a device used to watch TV shows and and lots of TV shows. Um, but I mean, we're in Oscar season, so I feel it's important to talk about these you know, these December contenders that pop up out of nowhere um, that are probably going to be a huge part of the discussion. This one has such an impressive cast behind it that I don't know how, you know it's 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 not gonna rack up at least six or seven Oscar nominations just from the active <laughs> categories alone um very prestigious uh, people you know in front behind the camera uh and, and i mean it's coming out on netflix netflix is a big pusher these days they've got beast of no nation which is you know obviously a contender but you know they can't forget about this one either of course by now you know i'm talking about the terry cruz nick nolte rob schneider luke wilson adam sandler the ridiculous six on netflix starting december 11th
0: not nearly as racist as everyone says allegedly
1: <laughs> That's probably the tagline they'll use for their for your consideration ads and then there's they're, they're going
0: I mean what do you think of Taylor Lautner's chances in the best supporting actor race like solid more than solid
1: I mean I think he's got a, a more than solid chance because he's obviously playing someone who is a little bit slower a, a little bit clumsier maybe has taken a few too many blows to the head um, and, and the Oscars are, are shining a little bit on characters like that because, you know, Sylvester Stallone from Rocky, big sporting actor contender, if he f- squares off against Taylor Lautner, it's almost going to be like, well, shit, I don't know who to vote for. They both seem like they've had massive brain trauma and which one played it better?
0: So The question is, to, to quote the great film Tropic Thunder, uh, written by Justin Thoreau in part.
1: uh Uh, what quote are you going to use
0: well i mean the question is who is going to go full retard
1: (laughs) that's what i thought you were going to (laughs) ask well we know it's not stallone i mean god might
0: might, might have the advantage there because you can't go full retard
1: that's true that's a good that's a very good point uh but yeah i'm i'm morbidly curious is that the right I don't even think that's the right way to no, say No, I think
0: it. I think morbidly curious is correct. I think because yeah. so. I because I, I, I am a little worried that you might want to die as a
1: result. I want I it's almost like a like just a comparison piece because literally I'm going i I'm binging on all of these good shows for the end of year list. I'm trying to see as many good movies out there, you know, as possible so I can contribute to that and then come Friday I'm probably just going to be like screw this and turn on the ridiculous 6 and just see how bad, bad can be.
0: It's going to be beautiful. You're going to love it.
1: <laughs> well, we'll see. Uh, Liz, but please save us. What is something to look forward to for people who aren't masochistic?
0: Well, I mean, my, my, my taste is probably seen as suspect at this point. But I am looking forward to F for family. Taste.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: That is a legitimate thing that we're looking forward to from Netflix. And uh, We have the first six episodes in screener form, and I need to sit down with those. Me too. I'm just going to also throw out a shout out to Fargo. Uh, We've got two more episodes left of Fargo this season. Uh, And I can't talk. You've seen tonight's episode. I can't talk to you about it because I need to watch it this afternoon before I read your your review. Uh, But then episode 10 is going to happen, and then all of our lives are going to be like, what's the point? What's the point? We don't have the leftovers. We don't have Fargo.
1: Yeah, I I mean, we need to come up with some really good – what to look forward to for next episode because people are going to be sad they're going to need it they're going to need some serious content to to cling on to
0: everyone go back and watch jessica jones that's what oh, i plan to do
1: it's probably a good idea yeah i can support that I, I, everybody go watch kingdom I, everybody needs <laughs> to see that too
0: how can they kingdom doesn't want us to watch it
1: but it's on i think it's on dvd like i think you can get it like
0: what's I mean, dvd people, what, what, okay,
1: it's probably on iTunes, people can probably, or Amazon, you know, I'm sure you can get ugh, it. I'm sure you can find Kingdom, come on, uh, come on.
0: Paying for the, by the episode.
1: What? I got, actually, I had a good buddy of mine, um, I don't think he listens to this, but Brandon, if you do, I'm talking about your uh, questioning me last week on what you should be watching next, and you asked if, I should, if he should start watching uh, Fargo, or if he should start watching The Leftovers, and I was pretty torn uh, because obviously I wanted him to do both. But I told him, you know, I kind of gave him the pros and cons of each. Obviously, there are no cons of watching The Leftovers. So he started watching The Leftovers. And he rents it. He buys it straight through iTunes. Like, he doesn't rent it. He doesn't, he doesn't get the HBO Now subscription. He just picks a series that gets good reviews. He'll buy, like, three or four episodes, go through them. And if he keeps liking them, he'll keep going.
0: He's a good man for American, for American media right now.
1: Hopefully, just put the leftovers over the edge to to you know profitability.
0: Who knows? That could do it. Hope so. All right. Um, I think that does this, does this enough for today. Uh, if all, as always, you can go to IndieWire.com to find more of our rantings and ravings about television, in both the, in the form of features, reviews, interviews, all sorts of fun stuff. Top ten lists start this week. We have so many ideas for lists so many fun 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 things to feature and showcase over the next two weeks as we head towards the end of the year and we hopefully we hope that you will enjoy them
1: believe it or not some of them aren't even about the leftovers but uh, i digress (laughs) if you're looking for other information that's not leftovers related And you know, might be worth your time anyway. Then make sure you listen to Screen Talk with Ann Thompson and Eric Cohn, as well as the other IndieWire podcast by our own editor in chief, Dana Harris, which is uh, IndieWire influencers. Uh, Both of those are available on iTunes, both of those are available on the site. make sure you give those a listen especially during oscar season
0: i actually just talked uh, to the producer who p- puts those episodes together uh, those episodes together apparently her m- uh, upcoming guest is drew goddard who Ooh. is f- a familiar a familiar friend to all sorts of uh so all, to all sorts of indie fans from the joss Whedon fanatics to those who really enjoyed the martian
1: yes yes and i mean cabin in the woods instant classic
0: Instant classic. You can also find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers.
1: And you can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet with an I and an E.
0: That is correct. We will be back next week. And in the meantime, you guys, keep watching television.